Farm, Food, Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to the Farm Food Facts interactive podcast presented by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance for Wednesday, December 19th, 2018. Today, our thought leader is Dr. John Newton, the chief economist of the American Farm Bureau. He manages AFBF's economics team in conducting analysis in support of the organization's advocacy goals for reaching policy objectives. John also directs the team's market analysis on issues of interest to grassroots farmer and rancher members and state Farm Bureau leaders and staff. Before joining the American Farm Bureau, John was an agriculture economist at the Ag Department, held a fellowship with the Senate Agriculture Committee, and was chief economist at the National Milk Producers Federation. John, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Hey, happy to join you, Phil. Um, when we take a look at the price of food, and I know that every year you do a survey that rates, you know, how much we're paying for Thanksgiving. Take us through the entire holiday season. What does Thanksgiving look like? What does Christmas look like? And bring us all the way to Super Bowl, which is now the number two food holiday in the country. Well, that's a that's an excellent uh, question, Phil. And I think we've been doing this for over 30 years. We've had volunteer shoppers across the country go out to their local grocery stores and determine uh, the price of some of these classic meals, whether it's the 4th of July barbecue or the classic Thanksgiving dinner. And one of the trends that we've observed in recent years is that food continues to be uh, not only very affordable, but has gone down in price in recent years. For example, the cost of a Thanksgiving dinner this year was the lowest level that we've seen since 2015 uh, at less than $5 per person. Uh, going forward for the rest of the holiday season, I would anticipate uh, things to continue to be very, very affordable. You think about uh, hams during Christmas. We included a ham in our survey this year, found that to be very affordable. Moving into the Super Bowl, you think about chicken wings and you think about cheese dips. Uh, we have abundant supplies of chicken. We have abundant supplies of, of dairy products and cheese. So I would anticipate the holiday meals to continue to be very, very affordable going in uh, to 2019. That's great. And and when we look into the crystal ball for the, for the future, uh, you know, for a year from now, I don't know if you if you're really looking out that far. Uh, but how do we look for for the rest of the year? Certainly, we've had some weather problems, um, both on the West Coast and the East Coast, that's affected agriculture. Are we going to see prices basically stay where they are? Or down the road, are we going to see a little blip in them? Well, I think that's always a challenge, Phil. When, when Mother Nature is your business partner, uh, you never know what she's going to do. And she can be a very, very fickle business partner. So we yes. did see uh, some, some adverse weather you know, come through uh, parts of the southeast this year that, that may have damaged some of the peanuts or sweet potatoes, for example. Uh, we did see last year uh, some relatively cold conditions uh, damage some of the, the fruit and vegetable crops out in California. So we don't know what's going to necessarily happen uh, weather-wise, but we do know what, what farmers are likely to do. And the department uh, projects for production of many of the meat products like chicken, beef, pork, uh, to be at record levels in 2019. So to me, that points mm -hmm. to uh, continued affordability in that complex. There are obviously uh, some things that can happen around the world that can change that. Uh, we think about uh, what's happening in China, for example, uh, in their pork sector. They're going to be demanding a lot of pork, and, and we could be uh, the beneficiaries of that U.S. producers in supplying that market, uh, and that would potentially lead to higher prices for, for U.S. consumers if we fulfill that market. But we do have ample supplies 
coming on in 2019, which would point to continued affordability of food for consumers. That's great. And when we take a look at the retail sector, um, what are you hearing from from retailers? Uh, what are you hearing from farmers? Uh, what can you share with us as as it relates to you know their their well being, if you would, um, and how they're bracing for two thousand and nineteen? Well, I don't I don't talk much with the retail space that frequently. I know, I know we're going to do so. Uh, this year at our annual convention, we're going to have many along the supply chain uh, visit with some of our farmers at our annual convention in New Orleans in January. But on the farm side of the equation, one of the things that we continue to see, and it's a trend, is that the farmer's share of the food dollar continues to decline. Uh, the farmer gets about eight cents of the food dollar uh, represented by his farm marketings. Uh, I think a, a lot of the food dollar, when you think about the input cost, he gets less than 15% of the food dollar. And a big reason for that is more and more consumers, more than 50% of consumers are consuming their food outside of the home. And a farmer gets a very, very small share of that food dollar. So uh, with farm income at relatively low levels, uh, they also continue to see a declining share of the food dollar. And that puts a, a real financial strain on, on farmers and ranchers. So, John, explain to me um, a little bit more about what you said. So, from a food service standpoint, the farmers making less money than if they sold at retail. That's correct. So, you think about what goes into uh, delivering into the retail space or or in a farm to market space, for example. Uh, it's a much shorter supply chain, so a farmer gets more of that uh, food dollar, so to speak. But when you enter into that processed food channel, you enter into that. Uh, channel where the consumer's at the restaurant consuming the agricultural products and their finished finished goods, uh, the farmer gets less of that because there's more steps along the supply chain, there's more marketing, there's more processing costs associated with that, and so the farmer gets a much smaller share of that food dollar. So, um, obvious, obvious question, how do we change that? How do we get more money for the farmer? You know, I think that's, you know, that's, that's the million dollar question, Phil. I think a lot of farmers and ranchers uh, have found ways to to uh, get more money for the products they raise by by going directly uh, to the consumer through the farm to table or the fork to table kind of movement, fork to farm. Uh, there's also other ways that, that farmers can get more for the products they raise, maybe in the organic or value added spaces. Uh, but really, uh, when it comes down to what, what you're talking about, you, you need to think about some consumers really don't understand where their food comes from and, and what the farm financial conditions may very well be. And I think a lot of consumers out there would probably gladly pay a little bit more for their food if they know it was going to benefit the farmer who raised that food. And that mm -hmm. might be the disconnect we have out there today. And and the message that we have to get out there. Absolutely. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and yours. Thanks a lot, Phil. Appreciate it. This is how food can have the power to transform a person. In Atlanta, Georgia, an ambitious activist believes that teaching young people farming skills can help break the ongoing cycle of incarceration. Abudan Henderson is a 36-year-old waitress and mother who became interested in the potential of urban farming as a means to heal communities. She says, I knew farmers who needed labor. I knew folks in the community who needed money, but I couldn't preach to folks in order to heal without providing opportunities. So Henderson started a program that would train previously incarcerated youth how to harvest crops. She named the effort 
gangsters to growers. Duriante Trent is one of the program's trainees who recently completed a two-year prison sentence for weapons and drug charges. Trent had never done any sort of farm work previously, but he had this to say. I was so used to seeing death that I didn't know how it would feel to see something grow, to see plants grow full of life from something I controlled. It's probably the best feeling in the world. Henderson feels that Gangsters to Growers has the powers to reverse powerful and negative trends by teaching life lessons through agriculture. What grocers need to know is that the Gangsters to Growers program is uplifting individuals as well as entire communities and teaching life lessons through agriculture. Retailers have a role as well to support these farms, market their products, and share their stories in-store. And while agriculture is helping to improve communities, here's how we can improve upon agriculture. A fresh solution for tackling food waste in the supply chain. Approximately 40% of America's food gets wasted in the journey from farm to table. But the Internet of Things sensors are now being deployed as a way to track food through supply chains in an effort to reduce waste. Yet, in spite of this monumental proportion of waste, the unrelenting issue continues, and this is happening for two reasons. The first one is that some people think the food waste problem can't be solved and consider it an industry-wide cost of doing business. The second is that until now, the industry has lacked the necessary technology and tools to fix the problem. Now that's changing with new technology like the Internet of Things sensors and cloud-based analytics. IoT-based platforms can reduce food waste by 50% or more. Up until now, the food industry has focused primarily on technology that identifies waste rather than preventing it. But now, by combining forensic records with technology like sensors and AI, we can figure out the cost at the crux of these vast proportions of food waste and provide insight across the supply chain on ways to prevent it. One example, when IoT sensors are placed in pallets at the time of harvest, they start collecting data immediately, including time and temperature data, which are two if the most critical factors impacting freshness and potential waste. The data is collected and fed into a cloud-based analytic system, which not only provides instant access to the data, but can also be utilized to foresee when the product will expire, so that we can then route the pallets in a way that reduces waste by ensuring every pallet is delivered to a retailer with sufficient freshness, providing longer shelf life. Other than placing the sensor devices in the pallets, there's no manual intervention required. And so there's no increased labor costs and no change to supply chain processes. It's a super effective way to provide intelligence and insight while improving freshness management across the supply chain and significantly reducing waste. What grocers need to know is that using AI tech and sensors and cloud-based analytics is cost-effective and scalable. Using this new approach will prove the success of freshness management techniques across the entire supply chain and will drastically reduce waste and alleviate its environmental and financial impacts. And wasted food is not the only commodity being lost in agriculture today. 40 acres of American farmland is lost every hour due to development. When bulldozers started plowing up pastures and cornfields in order to build strip malls back in the 1970s, environmentalists developed the idea to pay retiring farmers to preserve their land in a natural state, rather than selling out to real estate developers. 
Since then, thousands of nonprofit land trusts have started up in support of this cause. Nonprofit land trusts have protected 56 million acres of farmland from developers. However, some agriculturists are concerned that these land trusts are also keeping potentially profitable agriculture land out of the hands of new farmers. The National Young Farmers Coalition is now trying to promote national legislation that will make state funds available to land trusts looking to incubate new farmers so that farmland can be passed on to people willing to farm the land rather than develop it for other non-ag purposes. What grocers need to know is that while land trusts do a good job of protecting valuable farmland from being destroyed by developers, we also need to keep in mind that this land should be attainable by emerging farmers who actually want to utilize the land for food. And up next, could ag tech startups be the solution to both the food waste and limited land issues? A new wave of ag tech startups, Uber CEO and Alphabet, invest in urban farming. Bowery Farming, an urban farming startup that uses robotics to cultivate crops indoors, just raised an additional $90 million from investors to expand. These investors include Alphabet Inc. and Uber CEO, as reported by Bowery. Bowery currently grows greens, including kale, bok choy, and butterhead lettuce, out of its two indoor farms in New Jersey, and it plans to use this new funding to open more farms across the U.S. as well as internationally. The urgency of Bowery's business plan is led by the prospect of looming global food shortages, as the United Nations speculates that food production will need to double over the next three decades to feed the planet's increasing population. Bowery envisions a lucrative business opportunity through building massive indoor farms on the outskirts of major cities, a costly undertaking, but one that could help cut down on waste and deliver fresher produce. What grocers need to know is that now large indoor farms could help negate the global food shortage issue by cutting down on waste, improving shelf life, growing crops more rapidly, improving food safety, and ensuring that more fresh produce is available. Now it's time for our farmer discussion. Today, Hillary Maracle joins the discussion. Hillary is a sixth generation farmer on a diversified farm in Albion, Nebraska. She's an agriculture advocate, a sustainability officer for the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, and a member of Common Ground. Hillary and her husband raise cattle, corn, hogs, sheep, and soybeans. Hillary, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Thanks, Phil. I'm excited to be here. So I have to ask you, you, you've got cows, you've got hogs, you've got sheep, which are your favorite? I'm a cattle person. Absolutely my favorite. It's what I grew up with. Okay. I had to ask that first. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting to me about your background is you're a sixth generation farmer, powerful advocate for farming. What are you looking forward to for the next generation of farmers, your kids and beyond? Yeah, Absolutely. The future is so exciting in agriculture. You know, it's no longer just plows and cows. It is so technologically advanced. You know, I look for my kids, our seventh generation on the farm, they're gonna have to be computer scientists to be very <laughs> successful. And, you know, they're really gonna have to be intense at, in their marketing. And of course our animal care, you know, that's never ending, but it just keeps getting better and better because we have the opportunity uh, to utilize science and all of those great things. And so I'm just, you know, we went from the industrial revolution to the green revolution to now I really think farming is moving into this, this new smart farm concept. You know, we 
are down to four inches on some of our measurements in our grid on our field wow. for where we put on fertilizer and things. So it's just really exciting to me to look at the future. So four inches today, what was it like when you first started getting into farming and what was it like that measurement for your parents? Yeah. So our parents, you know, you, you looked at a whole field at a time, which might've been 40 or 80 acres or more. And you made the cropping decisions based on the whole field. You didn't break it down to the multiple soil types that can be changing constantly on different places of the field. It was what's the most common. And then you treated via fertilizer or whatever, the whole field the same way. Not you know, very looked, efficient. No, not terribly efficient. <laughs> right. And, you know, now we can do so much with our soil by, you know, treating uh silty soil slightly different than a sandy soil that may be in the same field. Wow. So, you know, I want to take another part of your background. You grew up working in your family's grocery store. Uh, what lessons did you glean from that experience that make you a better farmer? Yeah, Phil, my folks still have the grocery store and I love that connection to my consumer. You know, as someone growing food, to understand the consumer, you know, I understand uh, the internal store, the external, you know, you go to along a side to buy your dairy, your produce, mm -hmm. your fresh foods, and then you've got your can gets down the middle, you know, just watching how people shop it. I guess I didn't realize what a privilege that was uh, to get to understand that and really see, you know, how moms make decisions. You know, if they have three little kids with them, their shopping decisions are quite a bit different than if they uh, are able to get a babysitter and come in and, and spend a half hour and carefully look at labels and things like that. And so those, I would say the things that really stick with me are how people make those decisions when they, when they shop and it influences how I learn to shop. Hmm. That's a great learning. I wish, I wish everybody had that learning uh, that worked not only as farmers, but in brands and so on. Um, I understand you have a new venture uh, working with Costco. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is very exciting for us. We are in the process of getting our local zoning and uh, regulatory approvals uh, to start raising broilers for Costco, which you know, so it's a little tough having my independent store and then also um, going to be a grower for a larger store. So some, some competition there, um, but, but it's all going to work. And so it's actually going to be for the rotisserie chickens. And we are just looking forward to being able to grow our farm so that it is more likely that our kids will have great success when, if they, if and when, hopefully, they choose to return to the farm. We just they want to set to. them up for success. Yeah, they have to return to the farm. I mean, come on. Yeah, Sometimes I can't. I can't imagine that they yeah. won't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and and also, you know, I'm I'm very pleased that you're doing this with Costco. One thing that a lot of people don't realize is Costco actually does um, when it comes to their meat program, uh, does more testing for E. coli than the U.S. government does for all the retailers throughout the entire country. Um, so when it comes to food safety, when it comes to quality, you know, Costco in, in that meat case is number one. Yeah, and Phil, you know, that starts at the farm. The protocols are very strict and detailed as far as, you know, how we treat the birds, how we care for the birds, and anything we can to make sure that the, the poultry, the broilers that we're raising are going to be of the highest quality and that everything we do with any bird is going to have really strict record keeping. 
Yep. And are you using blockchain to do that or, or not yet? Not yet. We're not that far into it. Um, I'm sure we'll be learning a lot in this next year. It's going to be constant motion at our place. Um, we've, we've got the approvals through Costco. We've got the approvals um, through the banks and all that good stuff. But this, the regulatory process is it's going to take a little bit of time. So we're not into the blockchain level yet, but we'll get there. Great. So last question. Farmers today have so many uncontrollable conditions, climate change, changing consumer diets and trends. How do you as a farmer stay ahead of these? Oh, I think as farmers, it's our responsibility to continuously educate ourselves and the opportunities are out there. We just have to get to them. You know, farming's ever changing. It's not a nine to five job. Um, if you're not flexible and, um, not willing to take a little risk, you're probably not going to be a farmer or rancher. And so we just have to prepare ourselves for anything. We really have to look at this globally. You know, I can't just look at what my neighbor's doing anymore. I have to keep an eye on what's happening globally and, you know, pay attention to some of those news outlets that maybe aren't the main media, but some of those smaller ones that are really specialized in looking at trade and, and different things like that. Great. Well, Hillary, congratulations on all your success. Um, you know, it's not going to stop at seven generations. This farm is going to go for 10, 12, 15 generations, hopefully. Yeah, that, that's our goal is just to make it better for each generation. That's great. Well, thanks for joining us. All the best to you and your family and all the cows and all the chickens. <laughs> for a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yes, thanks, Phil. Merry Christmas. And thank you all for joining us on Farm Food Facts today. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com, look under the Programs and Media tab, and until next week.